You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Rated PG-13. Empire. Hello and welcome to my podcast. Today, I'm joined by my friend and the voice of the Washington football team, Bram Weinstein. We talk about Washington's recent moves, cause for legit optimism. How does this compare to previous offseason situations? We also dive into the team name for a minute. Remember, you can listen to Bram on ESPN 630 and you can follow him on Twitter at RealBramW. You can read my work on ESPN.com. I have a story on the site now that updates the naming process after an interview I had with team president Jason Wright. Before I share my conversation with Bram, here are a couple nuggets. Washington is not done looking for receivers. And I told you the other day that adding a slot receiver remains a definite possibility in the draft, even at 19. Bram and I talk about this for a minute, so I won't go into great detail other than to say it remains a desire. Um, I think the value might be more at offensive tackle because there is depth at slot receiver. But the other possible target is New England's and Keel Harry. I was told by multiple people that Washington is monitoring a situation and could end up trading for him. Now, I was told a few other teams are interested as well. You can play some connect the dots here as San Francisco was interested in him before the 2019 draft. Martin Mayhew was with the 49ers at that time, of course, and is now as Washington's GM. When New England selected Harry, they celebrated quite a bit, I was told, because of his size and the way he attacked the ball. But he struggled in New England and clearly needs a change of scenery based on talking to people close to him and others who know that situation well. His film at Arizona State was impressive, especially on those 50-50 balls. But he got hurt in his first camp, a hamstring injury, and tried to fight through it only to make it worse. And it sounds as if he fell out of favor, at least to some degree, with the coaches. I was told by some people close to him that he hoped, that they hope he lands in Washington because of Ron, Ron Rivera's reputation for how he handles players. Transparent will bark at them, but will also talk them up or try to raise them up and develop more of a personal relationship. I think that's something maybe that the kid needs. It's not necessarily Belichick, Bill Belichick's style or some of his assistants, maybe not even the New England approach. I don't know, but Rivera is more akin to Herm Edwards, who coached Harry at Arizona State for a year. So whether or not that's all it would take, I don't know. Now, what could Harry offer Washington? Well, the system has relied on big receivers in the past, and Washington's top two guys right now are Terry McLaurin and Curtis Samuel. They're not considered that big receiver type. They like Cam Sims, and they have other options than Antonio Gandy-Golden and Kelvin Harmon, but AGG was a fourth-round pick who showed really showed nothing, in part because of the injuries, and Harmon is coming off his own injury and projected to be more of a back-end guy on the wide receiver depth chart. Harry is a former first-round pick who has ability. If he hits, they look good, and there's a good payoff. I have no idea if he would or not. I do know a change of scenery is his best shot to probably do anything. Keep in mind, too, that one thing that Ryan Fitzpatrick does well 
is he gives his receivers a shot and adding a six foot four inch receiver would help. Now, before those nitpicking on this, I know that the his combine, he was 70, almost like, I think it was about six foot three. Everywhere else is listed at six, four. So you now, you know, choose your own number. I don't care. Washington also might draft someone at quarterback on day two. And if it's a guy like Kyle Trask, well, he did well with big targets at Florida. I will not oversell the idea of Harry. I'm just explaining why Washington would be interested. Now, of course, it's a good draft for receivers. So why give up capital? Well, if you think you're giving up a fourth round pick for a guy you believe in and, and might have rated as a first or second round prospect two years ago, well, then you do it. And as, as of now, I do think it would take a fourth. We'll see if that's still the case come draft time. And a move like this usually happens around then. I'll also say I asked Mel Kuyper earlier today how Harry compared to receivers in this draft, and he rattled off a few who could be available in the fourth round that he liked. And he said, you know, of course, that would make them a cheaper acquisition. He has Kuyper has 31 receivers with, that he rated with grades in the rounds one through four. Not all of them are going to go in rounds one through four. That means the talent will be pushed down. So you may be getting a guy in the fourth round that you had actually rated in the second or third round. And so that's why you maybe don't pull the trigger on that. The way you do it, mate, perhaps, is if you could get them for lower than a fourth round, a fifth round pick, let's say. I've had multiple people tell me it's going to be harder to gauge the bottom of the draft talent because of the loss of games, et cetera. So swapping out late picks for guys might be wise because you could make more mistakes or it's a lot it's a lot harder to project some of you guys maybe in the last couple of rounds than it has been in the past if it does somehow land them i can still see the slot receiver and that could mean a glut of bodies that's when maybe a guy like kelvin Harmon, maybe they go to him and again ask him to put on 10 to 15 pounds and move him to tight end again the route that he would run he already knows it's just a matter of putting on more weight to handle a different role. Speaking of different roles, as Ben Standing of The Athletic reported the other day, Washington will take a look at quarterback Steven Montez in a Taysom Hill-type role. Now, before you get too excited, they're different players. Hill was a 4-4 guy, or Montez is fast for a quarterback, but it's 4-6-8, so really that's more like fast tight end speed. Um, so my understanding is that they would use him more in a tight end, sort of like an H-back move tight end type role. Um, more, you know, whereas, you know, um, so I, I don't know that it's going to be exactly like what Hill does, but it's more of a quarterback in a different role. That's how it was. And they would, they do want him to run some of that RPO game as well. It's 6'5", 235. Montez is good size. And if he can learn this, it create mismatches. But this isn't, again, it's not necessarily the same thing as Hill, but the more you can create a role for someone who currently has none, the better. And I doubt he'd open the season on the roster but my guess is he'll start to learn multiple spots. He'll see what he can do, see what he can do this summer, put him on the practice squad, see how he develops. And it may not be for a while before we actually really see him in this role. Finally, for those harping on linebacker, what I know is that they really like how John Bostic finished the season. You can disagree, but the ones watching the film, they liked how he finished. Now, for a while, they harped on production, and Ron Rivera said it a lot. It took a while for them to get to the point where I think they – they, they really liked Bostic or certainly liked how he's playing. I do think that's where they're at right now. Um, I also think that they're excited or they feel good the way he finished and him going into his second year in the system. He hasn't been in the year two in a system in a long time in the same defensive system. That is, 
And he's kind of always been the guy where it's like, yeah, we kind of like him, but we also want better. That's what he's been. So we'll see if he's better being in year two behind this front. We'll see. And it, um, it was enough to where they didn't feel like they needed to go out and spend big money at that position. They were, I don't think they were ever going to do that. I still see them drafting a linebacker or two, and they may still sign another guy in free agency, but more, they're not going to be a big name guy, certainly. Um, but they do need more help there. And I do think that they're going to address it in the draft at some point. I don't know where, I know there's some good first round picks. I don't know that, that they would do that, but at some point I would expect them to, to address the position. Anyway, that's it for me. After this break, I'll be back with Bram Weinstein as we debate how excited should the fan base be after all these free agent moves. What's up? It's Mike Jones from the Football Jones Podcast. I know you're enjoying your time with the John Kime Report, but once you're done, I want to invite you to come over and check out my podcast. Each week, we take a deep dive into some of the most pressing topics around the NFL. High-profile guests from the coach, player, and front office ranks, as well as the top league insiders. Check out the Football Jones Podcast, another fine product brought to you by Empire Media. Welcome back. Now here's my conversation with Bram Weinstein. All right, Bram. Well, you're the broadcaster, the voice of the team. You grew up a fan of this organization. You've covered them as a journalist. You've seen many, many moves over the years. After this early part of free agency and some of the moves they've made, how do you assess it? And where is your level of excitement for what they have done? I'm pretty, I mean, pretty high. I mean, based mainly off of um, last year, you know, obviously the result was pretty good, winning the division and then getting to a playoff game. Um, I know what the record was, uh, but I really feel like for the first time in a while, at least on the field, that this was a team you could wrap your arms around again and kind of get behind. And they were really resilient. And all of those standards and practices that I had hoped Ron Rivera would bring, he seemed to have brought. Um, there seems to be some level of chemistry again in the locker room, as, as far as we can tell. You know, I mean, you and I haven't had the proximity we normally would because of the pandemic. And hopefully that'll change this summer. Um, but it does like, there's good vibes kind of going, at least on the field, like good vibes are kind of happening again. And they, they clearly upgraded and took advantage of an inefficient market where a cap went down for, you know, nobody's fault, but Washington happened to be in a good cap situation and were able to make real upgrades. And I think you and I both know they still don't have the answer to the biggest question, which is quarterback of the future. Um, and I think they ended up with probably the best available option at the time that fits what they're trying to build, even if he's a caretaker. And um, I think it's going to be fun. You know, I, I don't know what my expectations are for the season with Ryan Fitzpatrick as the quarterback. I do know they'll be competitive and it will be fun. Well, you know, and it's funny you bring up that word because we have we're doing a roundtable for ESPN with the NFC East writers. And one of the questions was, you know, in three years, how are you going to look back on this season? Well, it's really, or the decisions they made, and it's really hard to know without knowing the other part, which is who are they going to draft? Because as we've talked, there is a definite chance that now they may not, but but if they draft somebody, that is part of this equation. But the word I also used in there is like, for the first time in a few years, this offense will be fun to watch. So, yeah. I mean, it's been it's been boring and bad. I mean, you you had to call the games last year. That was it was really bad at times to call and to watch. It was, but at least, you know, it's funny because it, it, it's hard to, you know, remember how bad it actually was in the first, you know, 
month and a half because yeah. as it turned out, that was by far the hardest part of their schedule. Like that's where they played the majority of the teams that ended up making the playoffs. And they clearly, as they were navigating Dwayne Haskins, whether he's going to be the starter or not, and whether Kyle Allen could be an adequate replacement to apprehensively putting Alex Smith in and then happen to be playing the Cardinals at the best time of their year, the Browns who are a lot better, the Rams who are good, the Ravens who are really good, all back to back to back, like those scores and those outcomes, they weren't very good. Um, But at the same time, there was this, if you remember, like go back to the timeout conversation early in the season where people were like, why aren't you using your timeouts? Because we feel like you have a shot to win. It was because we felt like they had a shot to win and not that they were necessarily going to. And there had been a number of years specifically over the last couple with Jay Gruden, where I didn't feel like there was any resiliency whatsoever that like when things went sideways, they stayed sideways. And then Jay would tell us he didn't know why that happened after the game. And that that's not, you know, like that's not what was happening anymore. And honestly, too, it was that it was the Giants game in Washington that really turned it for me. They lost that. But they had five turnovers and had two chances to win at the right. end of the game. And it was at that point where I went, if they catch a break and knock a couple of these teams off, they're going to go on a run because you could feel it and you could see it. And um, and that happened for them. Now, like right now, heading into next year, the one team I don't understand is Philadelphia whatsoever. I don't know what they're doing. Um, but the other three, you could sell me that Washington wins the division again or ends up in third place at, at this right. juncture, you know, until we get to everything shaking out with free agency in the draft and injuries and all that stuff. But right now, if you told me Dallas comes back with a fury, I'd believe you. If you tell me that the Giants have massively upgraded and Daniel Jones gets better, I'd believe it. And with Washington, I would say they've upgraded too, and they had the best defense of the bunch. So let's see where this thing shakes out. But I could be sold that they are going to fit anywhere between first and third in their division. But you know, it's, it's funny too. Cause like one of the things you brought up that giants game. And I think one of the things that opened my eyes, because there were, there are a lot of questions about Scott Turner. And I think until you, you know, you, you, he still has to prove a lot of things, but I think what you saw once Kyle Allen and then Alex Smith started playing, you could see what they wanted to be on offense and some of the things they, things they wanted to get to, and I remember thinking, even in some of those games, if they got a better quarterback in here, you can start to see how this offense could really move. Yeah, and that's what some of those. That's where I kind of had my eyes opened a little bit enough to see more of the possibilities of this offense. And I think that's what Ryan Fitzpatrick can help them with. Yeah, and I mean, you know, listen, I'm hoping for a fairy tale that Ryan Fitzpatrick has never, unbelievably, never played in a playoff game for as long as he's been in his career. He is, he was not kidding when he said during that, you know, the first introductory press conference, he is playing the best football of his career. Metrically, you can go look at that. Like he is, his quarterback rating is higher. His turnovers are still up and probably above what you'd want them to be, but his touchdowns are up as well. I mean, he is playing the best football of his career and it does feel like a last hurrah for him. You know, and he does have a shot with a decent defense. And I think he was really upset last year because he was winning with Miami. And and I think in the same way he probably looks at Washington, he's going, I think I could win there. Maybe not the big one, but I can at least take a run run. And so I think we're hoping that there's some kind of last hurrah fairy tale part for him too. And maybe that is the case this year. And with Scott Turner, you know, I don't think we knew what he had at all. And I don't think he knew what he had last year. I mean, they brought in Logan Thomas, JD McKissick, and we saw in the summer, like, okay, like they could be good parts for them, but I didn't think they'd have the output that they did. 
you know, Antonio Gibson's transitioning, so we don't know what exactly that's going to be. And I think, like, the question all summer was, how are they going to score? It's Terry McLaurin and who? Like, how are they going to score? And now I look at this group, and they they feel extremely versatile. It doesn't look like they're done. Like, they'd like to upgrade a tight end if possible, although the ship may have sailed there. And if all the reporting is true about, like, people like, Nikhil Harry and stuff like that. I think that there's still possibilities that they could upgrade again. Definitely still looking at that. Yeah. I mean, you know, like he's, he's an intriguing prospect to add to a group, you know, to that clearly still needs more bodies and more help and more athleticism. And if they start to do some of these things, I think then we start looking at Scott Turner and go, okay, show us what you got, because you actually have a lot of parts here now. And, you know, Curtis Samuel, Terry McLaurin, JD McKissick, Antonio Gibson, that is an extremely versatile set of players that can be utilized in many different ways. So go ahead, show us what you got, Scott Turner. Right. Like you have an opportunity to really showcase what you can do. And and I agree with that. And I think they're they still will add somebody, they'll still they're gonna add pieces in the draft that I think they will expect to help the, to contribute this year too, whether slot receiver, um, tight end. I think those are definite positions where you could say they could come in and help enhance this offense based on what, you know, how they feel about these guys. But, you know, the other thing, Bram, is, again, we've both been around. We've both been in, you know, covered off seasons where there was a um, hope was planted and then it wasn't realized. What what years do you look back on and say, man, I was really fooled here with some of those moves they made? And does it hold you back at all? Or do you just say this is completely separate because this is a different regime? I do really feel like this is different. I mean, like this has happened repetitively with Spurrier. I know people don't want to remember that, but like when they hired him, I think a lot of people thought like, oh my God, they're going to have this amazing offense. They're going to bring him in there. Um, And it was just too early in the ownership and too many mistakes in free agency and too little oversight of personnel and too many mistakes with the cap and and being really fleeced by agents at the time um, to, to work. But, you know, people forget initially when they signed Spurrier, like, what the hope was attached to that. I mean, I think when Shanahan came in here, I I had a lot of different hope that it would be different because you had an adult in the room and a guy who had won before and was going to put his foot down and take control of the organization and had, we thought the power to do so. And I think we learned later, didn't quite have all the power that he had hoped. And, and, you know, maybe had he or the owner handled that a little bit differently, that things would have worked out. But again, that's, probably something for them to have had to figure out so and then of course rg3 you know we thought you know there'd be some tremendous amount of hope attached to that this does feel different because it does feel like one they've actually drafted really well the last few years which has manifested itself so these are homegrown players um at integral positions they have freakish type talents in chase young and potentially montez sweat and they have had hits like Terry McLaurin and Antonio Gibson and Cam Curl and others. I mean, we may look back, especially if Sadiq Charles is a starter for them at some point or um, or Gandy Golden ends up being a performer for them. You're going to look back at last year's draft and go, that is an, a franchise-altering draft in the end with Young, Gibson, and Curl already and potentially the others. And they've had prominent starters from the previous drafts They've built up, and that's why this feels very different. And they went and spent for Curtis Samuel, but he feels like a fit. It doesn't feel like they're just throwing money to throw money at somebody. Um, So I feel like it's building. And I also, I I think we have, you know, as I said before, I think we have an adult running the football side of this again. 
don't think we had that for a while. And it feels different to me. Um, I, again, like my expectations aren't like they're going to go win the Super Bowl next year, but it does feel like it's really for once really going in the right direction. And, you know, we'll see where they go from here and hopefully they'll get the draft right again. And then hopefully, whether it's free agency or the draft, the right quarterback is going to come along in the next 12 months. Well, the other thing I think the difference between some of those seasons too, Bram, is having Martin Mayhew, Marty Herney in here too, and having a front office that is in sync, it appears, with the coaching staff. Now, I will say, I'm going to emphasize that last year, I felt it was in sync as well because Kyle Smith was really good at get, you know at, at, in that area, and I think he and, and I had always heard that he and Ron actually worked well throughout that off season. So that matters. But I think having that group in here, it's the first time you've had experienced football guys with an experienced head coach in this organization. Because when Shanahan came, it was Bruce Allen who was doing yeah. that, and it's like he was. That's not his thing. And, you know, with Spurrier, it was, it was Vinny. I mean, you it's know, even so. funny with that though. Like, remember, I mean, people don't want to remember this now because he went out as pariah, but like people were excited that Bruce Allen was hired here with his lineage to the organization. But not as a personnel guy though. Past. It was like, right. it wasn't like he hadn't done this before. No, but it was you know, so. but as a person, as a personnel guy, yeah. that was not his thing. So as a business guy, you're right. And I remember even at the time of the hiring, people would say, oh, I love Bruce, love Bruce. As long as he doesn't get involved in personnel, which he did. Yeah. I, you know, the other thing too, and I, and I don't think this should be overlooked. Like, I think this really, really, really matters. Um, when I was growing up here, um, the Redskins were an extremely likable team. One, because they won a lot, you know, when Joe Gibbs was the coach here, they had a very affable, strange and eccentric, but affable owner. People liked Jack Kent Cook. They liked Joe Gibbs. They loved the resiliency of the team. They had homegrown stars here. Um, and there was a lot to it that was really, really likable about them. Um, the addition of Jason Wright is a big deal. It, it really is because it is a clear priority and it's been overlooked for a while that transparency and inclusiveness in the organization. And I mean, from the fan base, like, being transparent with them, explaining what's going on with a rebrand, asking them to join in on it, uh, inserting themselves into the community again with the other teams, you know, and interacting with them, upgrading their social media outreach. All of that matters to me. Like, I believe in good karma and good vibes and good juju and all that stuff. And there is a negative cloud, Paul, hanging over this organization. People were waiting for things to go wrong. So like when you, when you said like, were there times of false hope, the false hope existed partially because I think we all were waiting for the other shoe to drop because it dropped so many times and the organization treated its fan base at arm's length. And I don't think that's happening right now. Like, I think that they're understanding and embracing, we need to open the tent again. We want people to come in here, be part of what we're doing. And last year on the field, the way that they played is going to help, I think, encourage more of that. But the addition of Jason and Julie, who are very active in being inclusive with the community, I think really matters here. And I don't think it should be overlooked when you talk about, do you feel good about what the future has? I think it's a big part of it. You know, I've been waiting and waiting and waiting going, stop pushing me away. I'm your customer. Like, stop doing that, you know, stop it. You know, like 
I'm the person who lives and dies by you. I'm the person that buys the McLaurin jersey for my kid. I'm the guy who will buy season tickets. I'm the guy who's not going to miss a play. Stop pushing me away. Let me in. I want to be part of the family. And it feels like for the first time in a long time, that's happening again. But, you know, it's funny that you say it, too, because I felt like this is definitely the first year that they were a likable team again. Yes. Given all the even all the stuff that happened this summer and part of it, a lot of it was Alex Smith's comeback. And then Ron Rivera's situation, it made them a team that many wanted to root for because of all that, which is the first time that I think I could say that in a long time. And I think, you know, it's funny that you say that because, like, I look at a guy like Fitzpatrick. If Fitzpatrick goes out there and plays well, how many people are going to be rooting for that guy? Yeah. You know, because, like, you know, first of all, he's fun and the offense could be a lot of fun. And then you have a guy that maybe he gets the playoffs for the first time in his career. And so, I think some of that will, you know, it's certainly, and then Chase Young. I mean, I think a lot of people are going to latch on to him as his stature grows. So it it does feel a little bit different and it, you know. The organization was tone deaf for a while. Like it never more, never more um, obvious than when Bruce Allen did the damn good culture press conference where you, where go read the coverage of the team and sit there and explain to me how everybody else doesn't think you have this, but you're telling us you do. And the results are the results. And, you know, I, and I'm not trying to like bury Bruce Allen, but like that was the epitome of, I don't think you understand how you've alienated so many people along the way and go look at the coverage of the Washington football team amid all the things that were happening within the organization and still haven't been totally rectified yet. Like, think about that for a moment and consider all the coverage of how Alex Smith is unquestionably the comeback player of the year. Narrative of, like, how can they not bring him back for some people? People like you, me and you, who know this very closely, we understand what the decisions were. But on the outside, it is kind of like, people are gravitating back to them again and for good reason. And I think it's partially because they've opened the doors again, become transparent again to the degree that they're going to, Um, you know, I don't expect Ron Rivera to explain to me his game plans every week or all decisions he's going to make, but I do expect Jason Wright to explain to me how we're going to rebrand where the stadium is going to be, how this team is going to have a number of initiatives that become more inclusive, how the stadium experience is going to get better. And Hey, we want to hear from you. We want to talk to you. We want you to get back on board with all of this. And I think that matters. Like, I really do. I, I don't I don't undersell that. I think it matters that your fans and the community at large like you again or want to be part of the story again. Yeah, I, I agree. And, it, you know, it is funny because Jason Wright is a very transparent guy. And I, you know, and I actually had a long talk with him the other day for the story on an update on the team name and all that. And of course, you know, the Washington football team is, is still in the running, but I think the key thing and people latch onto that's like, I don't, it's not in the lead. We don't know what's in the lead, but I think what in, in bringing that up, his point to that was, and I'm curious your thoughts on where it's going, but was the desire for people to maintain a connection to the past. So whatever the team name is, I think there's going to be, you know, I think that's like, and so, and that's where his point with the football team nickname wasn't so much that it's a great name, but it's more indicative of where people are with it. Like try to maintain some links so they don't feel like they're rooting for a new franchise. I mean, I said this from the get go last year when they decided they were going to change the name. One, I wanted them to slow down. Don't do anything rash because you could easily make a mistake. 
all these cartoons were put out of what their new name is going to be. And I'm like, slow down. Like, I don't care how cool you can make a logo on a helmet. Like, this is not about giving somebody with a graphic design degree, you know, the, the, uh, the uh, permission to go make a new logo overnight. You know, you have to brand the team. And I felt like it is very important not to, I get we were hit a point where progress had to happen and it was time for them to change this. But this is an iconic, nostalgic NFL franchise. Do not just throw away all of that history. Try to find a way to keep it, incorporate it, and embrace it. And I'm glad they kept the colors. And I'm glad, even if it's just a placeholder, their look this past year was very iconic looking. Yeah. like Very iconic football. Like I liked that. And I've said a number of times, and I'm not just saying it because I work for them, I like Washington football team. And I think I might be in the minority of that, but I actually like that because for a number of reasons, like it just kind of links you back to the past for them. And it's different. It's unique for American sports to have a team name like that. I know it's prevalent in the soccer world, but it's unique to American sports. And I think they should embrace this. Like, I don't have a problem with it. I think in the end, if I, my gut's telling me they're going to have a name, um, but I do agree that this was, if it was just a placeholder, it was the right one. And I do appreciate that they are not going, we're all new. Like I said this a million times. If this was the Jacksonville Redskins or the Cincinnati Redskins that don't have the cachet history or nostalgia that this team does, they would have changed the name a long time ago and they would have gone, we're turning a new page and forget about all that. Like, that's not what this team should do. Like, are we going to erase Sammy Baugh, Sonny Jurgensen, George Allen, Over the Hill Gang, Smurfs, Fun Bunch, Gibbs? Like, of course not. Like, like, you're crazy to do something like that. We want to embrace it in a proper, politically correct way. Like, but don't just get rid of it. And that's why I appreciate that they've taken their time to, how do we do this properly that we keep intact what's important about the franchise and the history of the franchise and become modern at the same time. No, and and that, yeah, and I think that's that's the quest here, and I think that's why they're going to take their time. Plus, it takes time to for trademarks to get the logo right to the marketing. Then you have to get it approved, and you have to test those things. So all that stuff takes a lot of time. It's not not just as simple as saying, "Hey, here's the name, here's the logo, let's go." Because there's so much involved. That's not how in it works. Nobody rebrands a, a multi-billion-dollar company. Like, <laughs> You just do that in 10 minutes. It's crazy. So like all the people slow down, like you'll, you'll get the rebrand. It will happen. And you're not going to make everybody happy too. And I think Jason probably knows that it, it's impossible yeah. to make everybody happy here. I, I, I would, I would agree with that. Getting back to the on-field product, just a couple more things here. Which move excited you the most? Curtis Samuel. Um, I liked him the second I saw the game against Carolina in December. Um, he just fits exactly with, what you know how creative they were with mckissick how they can move mclaurin around um it is clear that they want to have a dynamic diverse offense and he just seems to fit the bill um he can go into the backfield which could put gibson in the slot or to the outside and we didn't even see gibson really used as a literal receiver which is what he was in college i mean there's versatility that is added here there's speed that is added here there's familiarity 
So he's not going to walk in here and have to learn something completely new. One of his best friends is on the team. Like all of this really feels really good. And it was the perfect marriage and hopefully it'll manifest itself on the field. What do you see them want? What do you want to see them still do? I mean, I would like to have seen a second tight end. I think the market went a little, thanks to New England, went a little in a direction I don't think that they probably anticipated. Um, that said, um, I, I would hope that I, now it's feeling like, do you try to find somebody you can either transition a tight end or do you draft an athlete in the middle rounds and hope to kind of develop them over the next couple of years to go along with Logan Thomas? Um, I think that they have a deep void at linebacker right now, and I don't know what they're going to do about it. And I, so I think that that may be something that needs to be addressed, addressed, um, next year, but it's, I would assume that a pretty decent high draft pick, either the first or the second pick goes in that direction. If the right person is there. Um, so I, I think they need to do that and they clearly need a tackle too. So, um, I keep earmarking 19. I know you and I argue about this, but like I keep earmarking 19 as an offensive tackle for them. I'd be surprised if it's not. I, I think that's a spot where I definitely have it on the list. And it's been, it was the, it was the spot or the the position that I had had for a while. And I, I think like, and I think as we talk like quarterback to me could be a day, it was more probably more likely a day two selection for them, yeah. which to me at 19, then means obviously best player. But that best player could be a could be a very much could be a tackle. Now I think slot receivers on the table there, maybe a linebacker. I don't know, but I I do think that tackle and receiver or slot receiver would be two yeah. strong options there. I mean, if somehow the right linebacker is there, I could see them doing that. And then, but I really do feel like tackle and and every mock draft, the second or third tackle of the board is going to be sitting there because of these run on the quarterbacks early because that tight end out of Florida is going to go early because the linebacker out of Penn State is going to go early. There are two or three receivers, especially the LSU guy that looks like a freak, like they're going to go early. So, you know, this is a good year to have to fall into a tackle and maybe a really good one's going to hit them at 19. And that's rare. If you get a starter, a clear starter at that point, at that position, typically best tackles are off the board at that point. Right. It does fall to them. Um, it's, it's, um, it may work out in their favor, not unlike the way John Allen fell to him a couple of years ago. And it was all off of some injury, you know, concerns, but he would have been a top defensive tackle off the board who happened to be there at 15. I think they are running into a second or third best offensive tackle at 19 available to them. I think that's a no brainer considering good, the need. Right. And it, and it, you know, it's funny cause I had somebody on Twitter like, well, it's the third best tackle. Why would you want that? Well, the third best tackle in this class is pretty good if that's what it was. Third and best this, tackle last year played for Tampa Bay was starting in the Super Bowl. Right. And, and it's, it is considered a good tackle group. And I also Second, think third like, best tackle was playing in Cleveland and, and could have been up for almost like really rookie well. of the year. <laughs> right. And did really well. And so, and I also think like, and I said, I know that they still want a slot receiver because they want to move Samuel around. And there was some disappointment in Steven Sims. So that's why, like, if you look at this draft, you can get a slot receiver in the second round if you wanted to do that, or even the third round if you wanted to do that. So, I mean, boys, do they I, look different if they draft a tackle and Sadiq Charles comes back and can be a starter at guard? I mean, how they look very, very different almost overnight if that does play out that way. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's suddenly it could be a fun offense to watch. And, and you know, it is I go back to that fun part in this last thing. But like a couple of years ago, when Alex Smith before the injury, and they're playing the Colts, and the Colts played a cover two all game. 
And it was just a dreadful offensive performance. And I remember thinking like, oh my God, these fans have to watch this offense for the next three years <laughs> because it was just, it was that boring and it was that ineffective. And, yeah. you know, so I'm, you know, if nothing else for people, I hope that it's at least enjoyable to watch the offense. Again, I think the hard part for Fitzpatrick is he still makes those mistakes and they're all too often they're in the red zone, but it's going to be interesting. So you know, I'll tell you this other last thing on him. Um, so, and I think that this is going to happen a lot around here. Um, I, I be like well, a week ago after they signed him, I, I, at dinner, I said to my family, I'm like, Washington got a new quarterback and they were like, who? And I go, Fitz magic. You know, I just forgot, you know, you forget where you are sometimes and like that not that like eight year olds don't know who that is. Cause he wasn't <laughs> watching dolphins football you know, over the last couple of years. And he was like, who? And I go, Oh, you got to see this guy. And I like pulled up, you know, what on Twitter, like pulled up images of him. They are. Can I get his jersey? Like <laughs> all my kids. My wife was like, "That's the Washington quarterback." I'm like, "Uh huh." And I'm like, "And he went to Harvard, and he's one of the most unique personalities you're going to run across." I'm like, and I said to him, "I go, it's going to be really fun with him. I, I don't know where they're going with him, but I think it's going to be really fun." And my kids were. My son a couple of times has asked, "Can I see that Washington quarterback? Like, let's see a picture of him again." Like, they're completely intrigued. <laughs> By the whole did thing. you did you show him in the one in the Deshaun out the Deshaun outfit? Is that the one you showed? Him? Uh yeah. Well, there's you know there's a few of them. There's the one where he really went full Conor McGregor a couple of years ago, where he's got like the open shirt and the chains yes. and the beard and the glasses and all that stuff. And they're like, that's their quarterback. And I'm like, uh huh. And you can already tell he's like, I like that guy. And I think like I think that's what's gonna happen here. So like, there're gonna be a lot of ups and downs because he turns the ball over a lot because he's a gunslinger. But he is YOLOing it. And you know what? This team feels a little YOLO. So, and that's what I think is going to be fun about the whole thing. And I and just for the record, I could never dress up like he does. I just and I could not walk around with the chain. I don't have the hair on my chest or or anything else to pull that kind of look I can't up. literally grow a beard like that. It doesn't yeah, come out of my face like that. <laughs> no, me neither. So all right, Bram. Well, we'll end on that one. Thanks a lot. Appreciate yep, you coming yep. on. Hey, this is Joel Corey from Inside the Cap. I know you're enjoying the John Conn Report, which gives you insider access to the Washington football team, everything you want you want to know which is going on with the Washington football team. Once you're done with that, check out my podcast, Inside the Cap, which gives you the ins and outs of the NFL salary cap and player contract negotiations. Check out these two products and other fine podcasts from Empire Media. That's it for this episode. Thanks to Bram for joining me, and thank you, as always, for listening. I'll be back with another episode by Monday. Talk to you next time.